that here in just a moment. You know, I want to say before I start the sermon that this weekend is the yearly meeting for the Evangelical Friends Eastern Region. And as you pray, please keep the yearly meeting in prayer over the next few days. It ends on Tuesday. But, you know, what's was really neat yesterday is, you know, we have certain business meetings. We have business matters that, that we vote on as delegates from Bethel Friends and all of our different churches uh, to, the, to the region. But also part of, the, part of what we've done this weekend is we have different foreign churches. We have a Chinese church in Kent, a Chinese church in Kent, which is 10 years old. We have different African churches in Louisville, Kentucky, and in Atlanta, Georgia, and different places. We have a Nepali church as well, and in different ones in the United States. And we recognized all of them yesterday. So there was a point we had these different churches uh, have their choirs up front singing the hymn, Holy, 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 in their language, and then we responded in English. So we have holy, holy, holy being led by a choir in Chinese up front. And Chinese is on the screen, holy, holy, holy. And then they would do it in this one different African language and in Nepal as well. And then we were singing in English. And God is glorified in all of them. And God is worshipped and praised in all of them. And God knows all the different languages. And it's just an awesome expression of Revelation 7. 8 through 11, where you see all the different tribes and tongues and nationalities worshiping the Lord together. It's so neat to see that. And it's so awesome to see those different expressions in the Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region. So please keep the annual uh, yearly meeting in prayer. Tonight, Tom Crawford, our executive director, will be preaching. And then we have different meetings and things the next few days. Let's pray right now before we begin this sermon. Lord God, this sermon is in, on glorifying you. And I'd ask that we all glorify you at all times. And I'd ask certainly that you would use uh, this message and just let the word of God do the work of God at this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A student once asked, I have this on the screen. A student once asked uh, Dr. Albert Einstein... How many feet are there in a mile? To the utter astonishment of the student, Einstein replied, I don't know. The student was sure the great professor was joking. Surely Einstein would know a simple fact that every school child is required to memorize. But Einstein was not joking. When the student pressed for an explanation... For this hiatus in Einstein's knowledge, he declared, I make it a rule not to clutter my mind with simple information that I can't find in a book in five minutes. Albert Einstein was not interested in trivial data. His passion was to explore the deep things of the universe. His passion for mathematical and physical truth made him a pivotal fixture in modern world history. What is our passion? What is our focus? What is our focus that we want to focus on above all else and forget how many feet are in a mile or all the other trivial data because we have one passion? Is it to glorify God? The Westminster Shorter Catechism was a 
church document written a few hundred years ago, and it says, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, we don't need the catechism to tell us that. Because Bella just did when she read 1 Corinthians 10.31, which we'll come back to in just a moment. And we cannot dispute that. Desiring God is a ministry uh, that was started by pastor, author, theologian John Piper. And Desiring God has a slogan, and it is this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Is God glorified in you? Is God glorified in us? Let me ask a different question. Are we most satisfied in God? Are we more satisfied in God than anything else? What satisfies you the most? Is it watching a good football game? Football season's just about six weeks away. I'm looking forward to it too. But does that satisfy you more than God? What satisfies you the most? Is it your job? Nothing wrong with work. God created us to work. And guess what? We can glorify God through our jobs, too. Let me state that. We can glorify God through our pleasures and our hobbies and our enjoyments. We can glorify God in many different ways. But God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan uh, theologian and pastor in the 1700s. And he would have these different resolutions throughout his life. And they've been preserved. So look at this one. He said, Resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved, second, that whether, whether others do or not, I will. Now, I think the second part of that resolution is just as important as the previous. Who cares whether others live for the glory of God or not? I will. I will glorify God with my life. Is what he was saying. Could we say that? Do we want to glorify God with our lives? It is my prayer that we do. I pray that myself and my descendants glorify Christ with our lives. You know, I'm in a sermon series on scriptures which I'm convicted to pray. And I'm mainly preaching about the scriptures and the, the theme and the words of the scriptures. Scriptures which I've been convicted to pray for the churches I serve. Scriptures that I've been convicted to pray uh, for my family. You know, I've been calling it the Praying Scripture Series. I, I believe there is nothing more powerful to pray than the Word of God. Because the Word of God stands forever. So if you want to pray powerful prayers, pray spiritual prayers. If you, want to pay, if you want to pray powerful prayers, pray biblical prayers. Pray the scriptures back to God. And today I want to talk about glorifying Christ. And so my theme is pray that we and our children glorify Christ. That's a biblical prayer. If you want to know how to pray for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and so on, pray the Bible. And one passage to pray is pray 1 Corinthians 10.31, which Bella just read. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. We're going to talk about that for a couple minutes. And, you know, this scripture... As with the whole Bible, the Old and New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, it, it, this scripture 
speaks uh, directly and objectively into our life. The Bible does not say something different to me than to Tim, than to Steve, than to Tammy, than to Lisa, than to Jenny, than to Joan. The Bible speaks objectively. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, the application might sting a little bit for me in a different passage than another passage, but the scripture is the same. And the neat thing about that is when I stand up to preach a message, or Bill stands up to, Pastor Bill stands up to preach a message, or anyone else, we don't really have to figure out what God is going to say. Uh, the Bible already says what God is going to say. Uh, the Bible has already uh, prepared the meal. God has already prepared the meal. We are just being the waiter serving the food. That's all we're doing. We're being a waiter, or, or, you know, serving the food. The Bible speaks objectively. And so does this passage, 1 Corinthians 10.31. You know, and in the context, this passage is placed after a long discussion on dietary laws. From uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing about Jewish dietary laws. And do these new Gentile converts have to follow these dietary laws? What about food sacrifice to idols? How do they respond to that? And Paul is wrapping up this section about dietary laws. And then in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verses 24 through 30, Paul is saying to do whatever you can for the good of all. Think about how you can do whatever you can for the good of all. And then in verse 31, Paul says to glorify God. Paul says to glorify God. You know, food is something that we hold quite precious, don't we? And rightfully so. I don't do well skipping meals. I get hangry. I was hangry yesterday. And then sometimes you get tangry too. That's tired and hang hungry and hungry and angry at the... Tired, tangry. Tired and angry. Hungry is hungry and angry. Yeah. You know, food is something very important to us. And this person wrote that her husband had an almost boundless appetite for ice cream. And it was quite obvious at a Sunday school party where he helped himself to a good sample of every flavor available. So later during game time, he was asked, if you could choose any famous couple to be your parents, who would they be? His answer came without hesitation, Baskin and Robbins. And um, I like that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 is not limited to food. Paul had been writing about food. Paul had been writing about dietary laws. But then in verse 31, it's not limited to food. You know, and I think that ever since I was required to memorize this passage, the passage has been near and dear to my prayer life. The passage says... Whether you eat or drink. So this is not limited to food. It's whether you eat or drink. And then the passage says, whatever you do. So this is not limited to food or drink. Whatever you do. What fits under whatever? And would that be like everything fits under whatever? The verse says, do all. What is included in all? Everything. Whatever you do. Do all, do everything to the glory of God. The glory of God is man fully alive. Irenaeus, there was an early church father. Around 200 AD he died. The glory of God is man 
fully alive. You know, we are created in the image of God, and we are created to glorify God. And right here in this passage, we are called to glorify God with everything we do. Everything we do can glorify God. Everything we do can be used for worship. Everything. So let's look at this. Let's talk about why we glorify God. And I want to say we glorify God because He is worthy. He is worthy. Turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, to Revelation 5, 9 through 14. I'm going to read that, but then I'm going to talk about it for a moment. So I want to give you about 10 seconds or 30 to turn there. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Revelation chapter 5 is the last book of the Bible. Don't be ashamed if you don't know that. That's okay. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. And if you're scrolling through a phone, that's okay too. Just scroll right past that Facebook app. Unless you're tweeting my comments. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, do that later. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. It's on the screen, but I'm going to talk about it for a minute. So as I read it, if you're not there yet, uh, keep turning there. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And then there's a section. Angels exalt the Lamb. Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is worship in heaven. This is worship in heaven. And I want to talk for a few moments about this uh, little scene of worship in heaven. And let me talk about the context without reading it. In the first four verses of Revelation chapter 5, we see that no one is worthy to open this scroll. There's a scroll and no one is worthy to open it. So have you ever been in a situation when it seemed like no one, really no one could help? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt helpless? John is here and John is just overwhelmed with everything he's seeing in heaven. And then he sees that no one is worthy to open this scroll and he feels helpless. Now, we may think that we can have help Anywhere, anytime, right now. Because we have, you know, high-speed communication and high-speed automobiles and trains and planes and whatever else. A few years ago, I watched a movie based on a real event where these super storms developed on Mount Everest. And they developed right while people were climbing Mount Everest. And because these storms, people died. Even in today's day and age, there are places where we cannot get help to that fast. And we know Mount Everest. We know we cannot get help 
to Mount Everest. There's still places we cannot get help. We might be helpless. John, at first, felt like there was no hope right here. And by the way, even if we think we can get all the help we need because we have 911 available on our phone and we have Coast Guard and paramedics and all these things, let me say, is it the help we really need, though? Sometimes it's the temporal help. We might be able to get temporary help. But we need spiritual help. We need to fix creation. We need to get rid of sin. We need to get rid of murder. We need to get rid of violence. We need to get rid of stealing. We need to get rid of unfaithfulness. We need to get rid of poverty. We need to get rid of gangs. We need to get rid of government oppression. And we will not be fully rid of all those things until Jesus comes again and makes things right. We need Jesus' help. We need the help that only he can bring. And John saw this, and he realized they needed Jesus' help right there, too. During uh, John's day, and during the time of Revelation, the government was persecuting Christians. They were dying torturous deaths. Fallen Babylon, which stands for the, the world system, so it was just reigning, and there was mass havoc. So we see these scrolls that, Paul, that, that John has right here. And verse 1 says that these scrolls were written on both sides. Now, do you think that you usually would write on two sides of a scroll? Quick pop quiz. Time to wake up. Uh, nobody's really sleeping that I know of, but now you're not. Uh, how, how many think you usually wrote on two sides of a scroll? Raise your hand. How many think you usually wrote on one side of a scroll? Yes, you had to write on one side of a scroll, so you all get a prize, and that means you can come to VBS this week. You, you, had to write, you only wrote on one side of a scroll because you had to roll up the scroll. And because this is written on, on both sides, it is saying that this scroll is complete. It is complete. These are messages of God, and they are complete. And so... There's seven seals, and seven is a number of completion. And then in verse 4, we see that John weeps. And he weeps because, again, no one was worthy to open the scroll. No one was worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. So we come to verse 5. One of the elders said to John, said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book in its seven seals. Jesus is, Jesus is worthy. We worship Jesus, and we worship Jesus, and we glorify Jesus with everything. And Jesus is worthy to be praised and to be exalted and to be worshipped. Jesus is worthy. So in verses 8 through 14, Jesus takes a scroll and he is worshipped. Verses 8 through 14 are similar to worship in chapter 4 of Revelation. The four living creatures and the 24 elders are constantly bowing down. And they're singing a new song. And this is what it says. Verse 9 is about why Jesus is worthy. He was slain. He purchased for God with his blood people from every nation to be a kingdom of priests. Revelation 1.6. And there is the emphasis on the cross and Jesus' sacrifice. There is the emphasis on him making us worthy to be priests. We worship Jesus. He is worthy. Then we get to verse 11. And this is really neat. 
In verse 11, there are myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping in heaven. A myriad is 10,000. So we have 10,000 times 10,000 times 1,000 times 1,000 angels with the four beasts and the 24 elders worshiping. That is a really mega worship service, isn't it? 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 times 1,000 times, times 1,000 with the four beasts and 24 elders worshiping? Somebody can do the math, not me. This would be a loud worship service. Worship in heaven will be awesome and it will be loud and we'll be worshiping Jesus who is worthy. And we also see that the elders are constantly bowing down in reverence because Jesus is worthy. Let's look at some applications. We are called to glorify Christ. Glorify Christ at all times with all things. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.31 is saying. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, everything you do, glorify God. Make your motivation, make your purpose, be all about, worship, about glorifying God and pray 1 Corinthians 10.31 for yourself and your children and your descendants. We are called to glorify God. He is worthy. God loves you and he gave Jesus for you. He is worthy to be worshipped. The world was created for you and for us. God is worthy to be worshipped. He created you and everything else. You can see that in Genesis chapters 1 through 2. In Genesis chapter, um, no, John chapter 1, 1 to 14. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, says that Jesus holds everything together by the word of his power. He spoke creation out. He is worthy to be worshipped. God knit you together in your, in your mother's womb. Psalm 139. He is worthy to be worshipped. God saved you. Romans 6, 23. He is worthy to be worshipped. God has sanctified you. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and 6, 11. This means that God has set you apart for his purposes. He is worthy to be glorified. He is worthy to be worshipped. He has justified you, which means he has declared you righteous in God's eyes. He is worthy to be worshipped. He has made you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He is worthy to be worshipped. He took on sin for you, and guess what? He gave you his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He is worthy to be worshipped. He gives us the Holy Spirit. John chapters 14 through 17. He is worthy to be worshipped. He takes a scroll for us in Revelation 5. He gives us a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. It is a new heaven and a new earth, the perfect heaven and a perfect earth. We will have new bodies. We will be a new creation. There will be no more crying or sickness or mourning or pain. He is worthy to be worshipped. And by the way, set all those things aside if you even can. Everything will worship Jesus either way. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was coming down into Jerusalem, and the Pharisees told Jesus, make the people be quiet. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, says that everything, all of creation, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everything will worship Jesus. He is worthy, let me tell you. He is worthy. He has saved you. He has renewed you. You know, I just listed just a few things of why he is worthy. 
But even if he wasn't worthy, everything will worship Jesus. But we can praise him all the more because he is worthy and because we are new creations in him. He is worthy to be worshipped. Early in his career, Matt Redman, Matt Redman, the popular Christian musician in Britain, was singing with his church's praise band when his pastor confronted them. They were proud of their musical performance, he said, but they were neglecting true worship. Insulted by the charge, the members of the band left the church. All that is except Redman. Shortly afterward, Matt Redman wrote his hit song, The Heart of Worship, which included these words. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he is worthy to be glorified. D.L. Moody shared the following. I believe the religion of Christ covers the whole man. Why shouldn't a man play baseball or lawn tennis? Don't imagine that you have got to go into a cave to be consecrated and stay there all your life. Whatever you take up, take it up with all your heart. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We need to pray that passage for ourselves. Because we need to pray that God will help us glorify him with whatever we do. And we need to pray that passage for our fellow Christians. And we need to pray that passage for our children. And we need to include in that prayer, uh, Revelation 5, 8 through 14, which we just read. Pray that we can worship God this way. Just a self-sacrificing humility, bowing before his throne and saying it's all about Jesus. He is worthy to be worshipped. We need to pray it for our children Because we need to be spiritual leaders in the home. We need to pray it for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, however long God lets you live. Because I think the greatest thing we can experience is to have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren serving the Lord. Yesterday, I was at the annual meeting, the yearly meeting. We call it the yearly meeting. And I see Tom Crawford. He's our executive director and also a pastor in Florida. And I see his daughter and son-in-law in the front pew of Canton First Friends, and we're worshiping the Lord, and his daughter is, has her hands in the air just worshiping the Lord, and I thought, that is awesome. That's what I want for my children. I want to be able to stand by them when they're 40 years old with kids of their own, watching them have their hands in the air worshiping the Lord. That's why we pray the scriptures for our children and grandchildren, because only God can make it happen. God wants us to be used of him to be spiritual leaders in the home. But it's God that makes it happen, and that's why we pray. Because prayer is what changes things. Get the most eloquent words you can get, the best entertainment you can get. It's not going to do anything except by prayer. So the next question I have for you is, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior? People get saved in churches all the time, and people get saved in churches all the time who have been attending those churches for many, many years and never really knew the Lord. Because oftentimes we think our salvation comes from intellectual knowledge, knowing about the Lord. But knowing about the Lord is not knowing the Lord. Sometimes we think that's good enough faith if we just read the Bible. And reading the Bible is good. Read the Bible, God will use it. But that's not equal to knowing the Lord. 
Sometimes we think saving faith is, 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 is just temporary faith, and that's not saving faith either. Saving faith is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior for forgiveness of your sins. Saving faith is free. Our salvation in Christ is free. Everyone say free. free. It's free. But a life living for Jesus will cost you your life. You don't earn your salvation, but Jesus does call for you to live for him. Oftentimes, we get those backwards. Either we think we have to earn our salvation, not true. That is what religion is. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Or we think we can just pray some prayer of salvation and live like the devil. And that's not true either. If you're truly saved, you will live for Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have a day here and there where you mess up or maybe even a week or a month. It doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. You won't be perfect, but you will care to serve Jesus. You will love the things of God, and you will hate the things against God, and you will love the gospel. You will want to share the gospel with other people. Don't take my word for it. Read about it in the Bible. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, anyone can follow me. Anyone. Everyone. But you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow. Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross to follow Jesus? Have you shared that with anyone else? We share what's important to us. God created us to be with him. He wants that relationship. But our sins, they separate us from God. So, and although our sins cannot be removed by good deeds, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. He took our sin upon him. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever, glorifying him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that we can glorify you. Lord God, I thank you that we can have a relationship with you, and that relationship is free. Lord God, I thank you that although we are called to glorify you in everything we do, we do not do that alone, for we have the Holy Spirit inside us. We do not live the Christian life alone because we live the Christian life with the Holy Spirit inside us and with Christians, fellow believers beside us. We live the Christian life with the Word of God. Help us to glorify you. Lord God, I pray that members and attendees of Bethel Friends Church will live out 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we will do it all to the glory of God. May we live our lives for you, Lord. May we do everything to glorify you, to praise you, to exalt you, to worship you. For you are worthy, O Lord. May we worship you like they did in Revelation 5, 8 through 14. Cast our crowns before you as they did in Revelation 4, 8 through 11. May it be all about you, Jesus, for you are worthy. And Jesus, if there's people here, and I know there are, who are not truly trusting in your blood on the cross for forgiveness of sins. May today be the day of their salvation. May today be the day where they commit their lives to you, confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior, believing that you are the only Savior, trusting in you, committing to you. And may they say that in a simple prayer such as this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I confess that to you. I believe, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven except by you. No one comes to the Father except by you. I'm committing my life to you and trusting in you for eternal life.
pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand if you're able for the closing hymn. Let's all stand and sing.